That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life life was was made manifest, manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk Walk in the light as he is in the light, we we have have fellowship fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the, truth, and, the truth, and the truth and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful. And just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How's everyone doing? There we go. Someone's awake. If you have your Bibles, join me. In 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, we continue a series that we've entitled Shining Light on Authentic Faith. Shining Light on Authentic Faith. And we've been asking questions of, of the Lord and His Word of what does faith actually look like? That's important. Because if we don't know, then we don't know. I know that was profound. But if you don't know, you don't know. So the question is, can we know the truth this morning? Can we know the truth of God and of Christ? And sometimes it's more difficult than you realize. Charles Spurgeon once famously said, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. So discernment is not knowing the difference between good and evil. It's knowing the difference between good and almost good. And some marketing genius developed a game that very vividly illustrates this point. It's not a game I will play this morning because it's not becoming of a pastor to get sick on stage. Uh, But youth, I will play this with you Wednesday night if you are brave enough to challenge me there. It's a game called Bean Boozled. Anyone played Bean Boozled? We have a couple of hands. Bless you guys. Um, It's a game where there are, I don't know, 12 jelly beans in this package. And there are two jelly beans of each color. You say, well, why is that important? Well, the jelly beans are not what they appear on the outside. For instance, there are two white jelly beans. Um, One is coconut and one is spilt milk. Uh, There are two yellow jelly beans. One is buttered popcorn and the other tastes like rotten egg. There are two black jelly beans. One is chocolate pudding. The other tastes like canned dog food, which, which tells me someone has to know what that tastes to develop a jelly bean. Um, now, I will confess I have tasted dry dog food, but not wet dog food. Um, there are two orange jelly beans. One tastes like strawberry banana smoothie, and the other one tastes like dead fish. 
And apparently that's a new flavor, it says on here. Um, there's a, two blue jelly beans. One tastes like berry blue and the other toothpaste. That's not so bad. Um, one is, uh, it looks like tutti frutti. It's multicolored and it tastes like stinky socks. And there's a green jelly bean that tastes like lime and the other partner tastes like lawn clippings. Now, um, a less mile special <laughs> for my beloved bride. But why is that important? Does it matter? Is it important if we can discern the difference between sweet and bitter, between good and bad? Because oftentimes we assume that it's very easy to see wrong and it's very easy to see right. But what happens if you have two things that look very similar? How do we test the spirits? How do we choose between buttered popcorn and rotten egg? Because I want to remind you that Satan, Lucifer himself was an angel before he was a demon. And what angel was he? He was an angel of light. We know that those that know Jesus Christ walk in light and not in darkness. So we are fooling ourselves if we think it is always easy, but God has not left us empty handed. He is gracious and merciful. And so today we ask this question, God, how do we know truth? And the answer as always is in his holy righteous word. Read with me as we follow along as we read in 1 John Verse four, first John is towards the end of your New Testament. If you're gonna uh, be here anytime with us, go ahead and mark your Bible. We'll stay there for the next several weeks. First John, verse one, chapter four. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And this is how you know so this is how you know. If God's word says we can know, then it's possible to know. This is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now, it is already in the world. If that was the same 2,000 years ago, that was true. It is true today. Verse four, you are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they say what is from the world and the world listens to them. But we, we are from God and anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Father, we come into your presence once again. Lord, we ask for clarity of mind that we would open our eyes to behold your truth and your majesty. Lord, that we would not be deceived or being boozled by the world. Lord, that we would not be quick to make judgments, but that we would search your truth and find your spirit. That we would not believe every spirit, but that we would believe in the one true God. Lord, we confess we can know nothing without you. 
So Lord, give us wisdom. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, I have three T's for you today. How can we truly know? How can we know truth? The task, the test, and the triumph. The task, the test, and the triumph. Look at verse one with me. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, which tells me there are lots of spirits, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. Uh, Several chapters later, actually one chapter later, John writes this in chapter five, verse 12. He says, I have written you these things that you might, who believe in the son of God, that you might know you have eternal life, that you might know you have eternal life. We need that declaration. And John gives it. It is possible to know you have eternal life. This is God's power and his affirmation in us. But this is the truth. You have to know what you believe. You must know what you believe. This is our task. So do you know what you believe? Every truth is found in the person of Jesus Christ. If you do not know what you believe, you do not believe. If you don't know what you believe, you do not believe. You see, Jesus plus something is nothing. Jesus plus anything, anything bad, anything mediocre, and anything awesome. Jesus plus anything is not salvation because grace is unearned. It means Jesus plus zero is grace because in Christ we have everything we need. Do you know what you believe this morning? John says, test the spirits. It's not enough to put our head in the sand and say, we can't know. We give up. That is not what we are called to do. It is not enough to know you believe because the glorious truth is that we are called to know what you believe. I'm thinking of this, the beautiful hymn on Christ the solid rock that says this lyric, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is what? Sinking sand. But here's the danger. Some of you are standing on sinking sand today because you don't know the truth. And you don't know you're sinking. And I pray that when you leave here, you would know that Jesus died for you and rose again, that you might know you have eternal life. This is our task, church, to stand upon the grace and the majesty of God. You see, the history of this world is fraught with evil spirits. The history of our world is fraught with evil spirits. From the very beginning, Satan brings this on the table. Did God really say? Now, how will you know what God didn't say unless you know what he did say? I love Christ's response to Satan when he's tempted. Have you not heard? Have you not read? Because God's truth is unchanging. So look at some of the evil spirits throughout this world. In John's day, he was fighting here in chapter four, an idea called Gnosticism. And it was a, is a Greek um, understanding of dualism. So the, they believed that um, there were spirits and matter. And so the spirits were inherently good and matter was inherently evil. You say, well, why does that even matter? This is, what, this is how it played out in their philosophy. Because matter is inherently evil, they said you can do whatever you want to because it's going to be annihilated. 
So live it up, eat, drink, be merry. Your, your body, your flesh is evil anyway. It doesn't really matter what you do. So live it up, sin to the fullest. And God's word is combating that. Say, God cares deeply about what you do. This is an evil philosophy of the day. We continue to struggle with ungodly ideas thousands of years later. I've listed some of them as I was praying through this text um, this week. For instance, the state-run church, that if you combine government with the church, somehow that would be godly and righteous. Look, the pilgrims escaped in 1620. They escaped England to separate that politics from God's truth. Because I've never seen a place where politics added to God's grace is a great equation. I've never seen it. This is a evil spirit that we are trying to free. The Puritans fled this. Another evil idea of today, materialism. If you just work hard and if you have enough stuff, then you will find satisfaction and fulfillment. There is no house big enough. There is no neighborhood where you can purchase a home that you will arrive. There is no dollar amount in your bank account that would fill you up. You and I have a longing to be in relationship with God. And there is no new car. You know what happens if you buy a new car today? In a month from now, it's gonna be a, there's gonna be another new model. Like we, you can't be new enough. There's, nothing, there's no material that we can buy that makes us happy and gives us fulfillment. Listen, I'm gonna shatter your dreams. Everything you own is going to the dump or is going to be shredded or is gonna get burned. Everything. And you know what? I probably shouldn't say this, but I am. If you save $10 million and you give it to your grandkids, they're going to blow it. And if they don't, your great grandkids are going to blow it. There's nothing in our life material wise, material wise that will last. Should you save and be a good steward? Absolutely. We watch everything that we spend that way we can give as much as we can to the kingdom and our house. And we are saving for our future. That one day we can um, not work as hard so we can work harder for the kingdom. But the idea that we can have stuff and that gives us happiness is ungodly and not from our Savior. Another evil spirit in the world we live in today is easy believism. If you just say this prayer, if you just join this church, or if you're just baptized, then you will have life eternal. That is not what God's word says. Jesus says, if you confess me as Lord in humble submission, you will be saved. And you're looking at someone who grew up in church and I was not taught this, but this is what I believed, that I was in church every day of my life, so I was a good person. I believed that I was good and that I knew Jesus and I had no clue who Christ truly was. Do not trust in a baptism or a prayer or a church. Trust in no other name but Jesus Christ. No other name but Jesus Christ. We should also reject the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says that God only wants to give you health, wealth, and happiness. Um, newsflash, God's number one priority is not my happiness. It's not. God is good and he wants nothing but my good. And in that, he let his son die for me. 
But God doesn't contemplate every day. I wonder what would make Josh feel good today and happy. We must reject that idea. God's word is not about me. It's about God. And we are here to worship. Worship is not about us. Worship is about our Savior. That is the ungodly, wicked idea. We also have another evil idea in our world of convenient cultural Christianity or cheap grace. It's also termed this, the Bible Belt. That because you're connected to a church, you know Jesus Christ. Um, a pastor friend and I calculated the numbers uh, several months ago that if every church in our area was full, every church was full, still over half the people would not worship anywhere. Think about that. And the idea that we're connected to a church somewhere down the line, and so we are inherently um, inheritors of God's grace is a lie, and it will send us to destruction. That is not what God's truth says. Um, the church, not only is the church um, in danger of this, but the church has espoused ungodliness throughout its history sometimes. In the 1920s, when the Nazis were killing millions of Jews, the German evangelical church, also called the Deutsche Christian, they embraced nationalism and aspects of Nazi ideology. So as the Nazis were killing and euthanizing Jews, there was a church, not every Christian, but there was a church that stood up and said, we support you. Oh, may we not be that. And I pray that those men and women have repented of their sins. But we as a church must reject ungodly ideas, racism, favoritism, gossip, the idea that some are better than others. No, none of us are good. And we are all needy of God's grace. This is our task. And church, it doesn't end there. Today, we don't call them false prophets, but we call it Facebook or fake news or TV evangelism or memes. Look, we cannot propagate the ideas of the Antichrist. And I will say it again until Facebook goes off and we have something new. Do not like something that is a lie. Do not share something that is untrue. Do not let the Antichrist continue the lies. Church, we are not called to be gullible. We're called to be godly. There's a difference. And if, that, if God is asking you to step away from the mouse, it's okay. Put the tablet down. If you don't know, don't share it. But do not be caught up as a church where we buy into the lies of our culture. We, trans we transcend culture. We should be culture shapers. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? That is our task. And we must stand upon the truth of the gospel at all costs. You see, the task of authentic faith is this. Know what you believe, know who you believe, and know what you believe. Church, know who you believe and know what to believe is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see... Some jelly beans look the same, but not all taste the same. And often the spirit of the Antichrist is very appealing to us. And may we sense his spirit. So if our task is to rightly divide the word of truth and not be gullible, what then is the test? What is the test? And we are graciously given that test in verse one and two. 
The task, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. So how can we test them? Verse two, this is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that who? Jesus Christ. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Would it not be nice to have a test when you play this game with me, youth, where you could determine which jelly bean was rotten and which one was delicious? God has given us that test spiritually. And he says, it's Jesus. As if everything in our life hinges and falls at the feet of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thought this is. So let's look at what the test is not first. We need to hear this. The test is not our opinions or our feelings. God did not say, here's how you test the spirits. Just whatever you feel is right, that is right. And God did not say, church, here's how you test your, the spirits. Just give your opinion. No, it's God's truth over our opinion. It is not about your feelings and it is not about your opinion. Second, the test is not any one person or any pastor. The reason I want you to open your Bibles, I want you to test what I say against the truth of God's word. I do not take offense when you test my words with God's words. Because my prayer is that everything I say will match up with the truth of Jesus Christ. Because we stand upon his word. Third, this test is not the wisdom of the world or culture. We cannot let the wisdom of the world tell us what to believe. We tell the world that Jesus Christ is good and we show the world what to believe. Fourth, half-truths or nice-sounding Christianese are eternally damning. Half-truths and Christianese are eternally damning. And I struggle with this as a pastor who grew up in the South because here's the first question that we ask people. After what's your name and where do you work? The, sec the third question is, well, what church do you go to? And I've often been broken in prayer. And I wonder if sometimes by me asking that question, if I let someone walk a road to hell, because I didn't ask them if they know Jesus. Because there is no church. This church will not save a soul. And there is no church in the world except the church, the true church of Jesus Christ. And so may we not buy into the lie that half-truths are okay. Satan wants us to believe half-truths about the good news. And he wants you to believe a half-lie. Fifth, as a Christ follower, we are not called to put our head in the sand and blindly follow any spiritual idea that, calls our, that comes our way. Um, the world was supposed to, the apocalypse was supposed to happen again yesterday, I believe. That's what someone said. We are not called to put our head in the sand and believe any spiritual idea that comes our way. Church, there are a lot of spirits, but there is only one Holy Spirit. And so how do we test that? Two things. It's all about Jesus Christ. First, look at verse two. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus Christ. The measure of test is Christological. Look to Jesus. Over and over and over again, the test of our faith falls at the feet of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because no evil spirit 
No demonic force wants you to confess Christ because there is power in confession and confession of Jesus. There is power in that. So test everything about with the lens of Jesus Christ. As Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. A modern example of this is uh, in the Quran and 2 John 7 hints at this. Um, you know, Jesus is in the Quran. But in the Quran, Jesus is a created being and he is not divine. So it's not enough to believe in a Jesus. You have to believe in the true Jesus Christ. There are lots of Jesuses out there. There's only one true Christ who is fully God, who is fully human, who was born of a virgin, who is tempted in every way that you and I are tempted, who lived a sinless life, who decided to walk a difficult road to the cross for our sake. Because sin leads to death and Jesus being without sin decided to take our sins upon him who died on the cross. And three days later, he rose again. That is the Jesus that everything hinges on. You see, the Quran teaches that Jesus was on the cross, but he didn't die. He looked like he died, but he didn't die. No, Christ died and rose again for our sake. This is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first test of our faith is this, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And the second part of that test is confessional. Are we confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Verse two says that every spirit that confesses that Jesus is Christ. You see, confession is internal and public. It's an internal belief, but it's a public recognition that Jesus is Lord and he is Savior. Have you confessed Jesus Christ? You say, well, I don't need to do that. Um, it's personal. No, it's public. Like when God saves you radically, you can't help but to change everything about you. There, there's a need for an internal recognition and a public confession. Demons recognize that God is sovereign, but they do not confess him as Lord. And there are church people that recognize that Jesus is who he says he is, but they have not confessed him as Lord. And you know what? Welcome on team demon. That's what they believe. So it's not enough to mentally recognize Jesus. We must believe in our heart and confess that he is God and confession results in salvation. The word confess in verse two here is the word homo lego. And it's a word to say, lego is the word um, to say, homo is the same, to say the same thing, to recognize God as he recognizes himself. To say, God, I admit who you are. See, confession is submission, life change, and fruits of repentance. Confession is not a one-time event, but is a point of departure for us. Confession is not a one-time event, but is a point of departure. And my heart is grieved over my friends who when they share their testimony, it sounds like this. When I was six, I confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and nothing else changed. That's not the Jesus I know. 
Because confession is, Lord, I will willfully submit my life to you. God, this is a point where I will say, I will follow. And that's not a one-time following, that is a lifetime. Are you constantly confessing him as Lord? Are you putting your faith in something you've done a long, long ago? Are you putting your faith in a confession you are doing constantly, an ongoing confession? And my goal is not to make you doubt your salvation, but my goal is to make you hold fast to the salvation that Jesus gives you if it's real and if it's true. The test of our faith is Christ. Church, here is your test. See everything through the lens of Jesus. See everything through the lens of Jesus Christ. Our task is to test. Our test is Jesus. And then lastly, look at our triumph. Look at the triumph that we have. Verse four, you are from God, little children, and you have conquered them. You have conquered them. Greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. This is the glorious truth of the gospel. We talk about the test. Jesus passed the test. Right? Jesus passed the test. The test is live a sinless life. We have failed and Christ has gloriously and triumphantly passed that test for us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in anything in the world. And you say, well, these antichrists, they scare me. Why? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Well, pastor, look at the news. People are shooting others up. We had a dear friend in Baton Rouge that her, his father was shot doing lawn work last week. More than likely gain activity. You say, what a horrible world. This is terrifying. I'm living in fear. And God's word reminds us, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He said, Pastor, but what about cancer? And look at all these hurricanes that are coming our way. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Pastor, look at the addictions in my family that are running rampant. Look at the lust and the divorce and look at all these generational curses. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He said, Pastor, I don't know about the future. I'm living in fear. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You see this, Christ has passed the test. He has passed the test. And this word triumph and conquer, it's a word that Jesus used. And he used it in, first, in, in the book of John. It's a word that Jesus said, it's a word nikao. And Jesus said these words. He said, take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world in John 16, 33. And you know what is about to happen in that, that passage of John? Jesus is about to die on the cross. Think about that. Jesus wasn't laid back in his mansion saying, this is awesome. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. Look how comfortable we are, church. This is great. Jesus is going to walk an agonizing road to the cross. And yet he looks to the father and he looks out to his disciples and says this, I have overcome. 
which means the victory of Christ in our life is not dependent upon our circumstances. It is greater than our circumstances. There is nothing more agonizing than a cross, a place of brutal death. And yet Jesus has overcome that rejoice. He has conquered your sin and he has conquered the grave. That is the God that we worship. This is the triumph. And so why do we walk around sometimes as if we have been defeated? Like this, this is the greatest. Jesus is saying, look, church, we're in the victory formation. And we're waiting for Christ to come back and take a knee. I didn't experience that personally last night, but hopefully one day soon. But think about that. We're not defeated. We have triumphed in Christ and we're just waiting on God to come back. And there's not gonna be this end, this huge end time apocalyptic war. Literally, Jesus is gonna come back. He's gonna take a knee and the forces of darkness are bound to hell forever. Forever. Church, greater is he. Greater is he. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do not be worried. Little children, take heart, God's word says. And Jesus then says this, greater is he that is in you. I liken it to this. I think this is the ultimate. We can look at Satan today. This is the ultimate, my dad can beat up your dad statement. Think about that. I mean, you can look cancer in the face and you can say, you don't understand who my father is. We can look evil spirits, these spirits of the Antichrist that are tearing the church apart. And we can look at Satan in the face and say, Satan, I just wanna remind you who my father is. You know, the, the, the dude, the, the father that kicked you out of heaven, the same father that's going to come back that has already propelled hell for you, the same story that you know has already been written, that heavenly father, that dad has my back. Satan, I wanna remind you of that so I can remind myself that we have triumphed in Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel is greater than anything else. And church, rejoice because we live in triumph. The task is great. The test is Christ. And because of Jesus, we have triumph. I wanna close with this story this morning. Uh, it's a story that came out in the press several years ago. Uh, it is 25 miles near Johannesburg, South Africa, a place that I've taken some of my friends on a mission trip. And uh, these probably Americans, because we do things like this, they wanted to, to go to a wildlife preserve. And so they went with the owner of this preservation and this, this wildlife game reserve is known for getting you right next to these animals. And so they trusted this man. He said, you know what? I have food for the rhinos. I'm gonna drive you right next to them. It'll be okay. And so these teenagers and these Americans, most likely, um, they had their food and the owner of the preserve said, you know what, it's okay, why don't you get out of the truck and I'll take your picture. Like, when, when's the time you're gonna have your picture taken by a white rhino? They can't see very good anyway. So they get out and he said, well, why don't you scoot back a little further? And the story related this, as soon as the picture was snapped, the rhino charged and gored this young lady, broke ribs and punctured her lung. And she survived. I would not have told the story if it was worse than that. But what she did not know, she trusted a man's word. 
And she did not realize that she was backing up into destruction, into impending death. And I wonder for some of you today that you're walking a road that's leading to destruction and death and you don't realize the danger is behind you. And if that rhino of destruction were to hit you full force today, would you be ready to meet Christ face to face? God's word said it's accounted to a man once to die and then judgment. We are all judged. And I'm so thankful that God sent his only son to take away my filthy rags. But Jesus doesn't just take our rags away on the cross. He also gives us his righteousness. As I was able to share with a young man this morning, it's as if God, through his son, Jesus Christ, and the death on the cross, takes away my dirty coat that I deserve to wear and instead gives me a coat of righteousness so that if I confess Jesus as Lord, he looks at me as right and as whole and as pleasing. See, God doesn't wait for you to get your act together. The Bible said that while you were still sinners, while I was sinning, Christ died for us. That while we were in rebellion, have you confessed him as Lord? And maybe today you have been guilty of following ungodliness or listening to the ways of the world. And you're broken and you're hurt today. And you don't know there's a rhino charging at your door right now. God knows before you do. And he has already prepared for you. And as we sing a song of invitation, can you truly sing these words? Here's the song that we're singing. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and someday exchange it for a crown. Can you honestly and truthfully pray that? I want you to know that today God has prepared a way for your salvation. If you would confess him as Lord and willfully submit to the King of Kings. I'm gonna invite you as I do on most Sundays. If you know someone that's living in sin and does not know Jesus Christ, if you would spend time where you sit or come to the altar and just pour out before them. You see, God has given us a gift spiritually that we can see rhinos of destruction in other people's lives. And maybe God is calling you today to tell someone, look, run to Jesus. You don't see the destruction, but it's right there. And I'm gonna intercede for you today. So maybe God is calling you to the altar, not for yourself, but for someone who desperately needs intercession and healing in Jesus. Let's pray. Father.